0: You're working on something good, but if it's really good, you're gonna need a bigger room. And when you're in the bigger room, you might not know what to do. You might have to think of how you got started sitting in your little room.
1: Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
0: Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
2: It's Friday, January twenty ninth, twenty sixteen. It's nine oh two PM Pacific Standard Time here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jack Miller.
3: And I'm Shannon Emerson. This is White Tiger Radio Live. Thanks for listening in, everybody.
2: So, Shannon, I'm dying to know. What's on your mind? Apathy. Simple, single word, apathy. Say more. Huh? More about apathy. (sighs) You yourself are not apathetic, I assume. There's no point. There's no point. Wow it's got a hold of you whatever okay apathy can you hear the rain dripping i can so i have stuff on my mind so i may as well just ask myself jack what's on your mind because i have something on my mind uh you do too apparently but it's preventing you from saying anything it's two and a half days until the iowa caucuses right i guess yeah it is. And I'm just wondering what your take on the political situation is at this moment.
3: Well, I would say the situation is quite political. Yes. Wouldn't you agree?
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm not actually sure it is political.
3: Ah, it could be. Ah. Ah. Show people is what you're show saying. Show
2: people, yes. Not but,
3: politicians, but show people. But more than
2: that, you know, there's been a lot of ink spilled about Donald Trump and what his appeal is and who all these angry people who are voting for him. I don't think they're angry people. I think there's a huge segment of the population that's just dying to know what it's like to be in a say, movie.
3: Did you say a huge did I segment say a huge? of the population? I
2: may have done it. See, it's gotten into me. But I think a huge segment of the population is just dying to know what it feels like to actually be in a movie. Because Donald Trump is like the kind of guy who's the president in a movie that's set 250 years in the future where everything's gone to hell, and maybe the asteroid is coming. And I think people just wanna know what it's like to be in that movie, to feel cinematic, if you will.
3: You know, one time I got bit by a Shetland pony.
2: You did? hmm Wow. How did that feel?
3: It felt like being bit by a tiny horse.
2: No, I mean, how did it feel emotionally? That's, I've been told that I need to say that more like, don't, when someone says something, don't, just immediately jump in and tell them why you're great, but ask them how they feel or how they felt about that thing that they're telling you about. I, I've been trying it out. It's not really. I don't hey, really buy hey,
3: it. Hey, hey, hey. I think this is White Tiger Radio Live, not robots pretending to have emotions.
2: That's uh, that's on next. That's Friday <laughs> night tuned. at 10. Stay tuned for that's emotions pretending to have emotions. not appropriate for
3: the 9 o'clock audience. So what in the heck are we doing tonight?
2: Tonight, we have a show, a radio show on the Internet, and it's live. And it is called, and this is kind of a mouthful this month. Are you ready? <laughs> you, you're. I, mean, you're barely I could scared. care less. You could care less, exactly. And, and uh, you could care less? How much less? Let's show see. me how much less you could care. We're going to find out. Me. We're going to find out. I'm, I'm trying you. I'm officially trying you to see how much you could care less. Our show tonight is called It May Be True or It May Not Be True. See? Mouthful. I think you actually dozed off while I was saying that.
3: There's two kinds of stories being played here tonight. Or one. The ones that are true or the ones that may not be true.
2: Are you going up or down in the elevator? And the person says yes.
3: Also, this is a two-record-player show. It we is. might want to add to the audience members who don't exist so they can't see it, but our listeners who can't see the studio, we have two record players out. We're going to only play records. But mostly. We're going to only play records. Right. And uh, we might just spontaneously choose them as right. well.
2: We don't have a set list set up. Part of the reason is is that the it may be true or may not be true was a story challenge. We said to people, our listeners, send us a 500-word story that may be true or may not be true. And I think that's a straightforward and simple and broad enough thing that also has direction. And yet we got very and disappointingly few submissions this month. And I think that maybe it's because people have trouble being creative in January.
3: People are busy not drinking and making fitness in January. Yeah,
2: I know and it just gets in way. And tomorrow the way. can you
3: like tomorrow there's going to be such a loud thud of liquor bottles being placed on the counter at liquor stores cuz it's February 1st, right?
2: No. no. Monday's February. Monday?
3: 1st. Monday? Oh. But people poor are gonna honey's.
2: people are going like, to get oh, them tomorrow and get oh, ready for no, Monday. Not.
3: they can't handle that. No, they're going to show up on Monday.
2: So, yeah, so January, not a great month to ask people for stories. How are you? I was, you know, wondering. I bet
3: on Wednesday we're going to get a flood of emails saying, hey, is it too late?
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. we send you a story. Right, February 3rd, people were like, hey, yeah, I'm totally jazzed for creative activities now. Sorry, it was too late as of this Wednesday. January just ran out on you. Anyway, let's show start the this. people
3: what they've won.
4: I took a bookkeeping class in high school. It was a total waste of time academically, but socially pretty interesting. A mix from the upper grades, cheerleaders, football players, class clowns, and burnouts. Not my typical honors class. One day I impressed even the clowns by sketching the most artistic picture of the teacher I could and displaying it to class. This was my first and only trip to the dean, and I kept insisting I was not making fun of the teacher. I was drawing his portrait. After that, I started hanging out with Ty Lawson. He was football captain, on student council, and always smiling. He was my first black friend. He didn't look down on anyone, and he had this infectious laughter. You crack me up, he'd tell me, and I was glad. We'd go to those empty places by the river where everyone shows up for the bonfires and beer. But one night that spring, no one showed up. And so just Ty and me and his football buddy, Matt, who had his dad's fishing boat, put out on the Illinois River. I didn't drink, I had a swimming meet the next day, and the moon lit our way through the shallows and reeds, past the small islands and trees that seemed to grow up out of the water. Matt pulled hard on the oars, and Ty looked out over the bow, and away from the gusts of highway traffic it got silent. I thought how these guys might still be here in twenty years, and I'd be far away, but it didn't matter, we were all just the same here. At one point I realized we were in the open river, We passed a buoy, but I didn't think anything of it. But then we were in the path of a bright light, and something massive approaching about a quarter mile away. I panicked, but Ty was calm. He had Matt pull for all he was worth, and we were really moving then, but the barge closed in fast. We just cleared its path, and for a minute, as it lumbered, heaped with stinking garbage, backed by that massive, thrumming tugboat, with the force we felt inside us, we thought we'd made it. Then the wake came and pitched us over. I was sucked down and kept going. I couldn't see anything and knew that struggle against that force was useless. I held my breath, though, which was something I could do for a really long time, two, three minutes, maybe, when that force let go. I swam to the surface. I called for Ty and Matt, but no one answered, and I made for shore. I flagged down a car on Route 29. They found the bodies the next day downriver. And when the funeral was passed and people stopped talking and asking me about it and ever since i try to look at people and smile a little bit more each day like ty did and seek out the kind of people in this world who make me laugh
5: now i taught the weeping willow how to cry and i showed the clouds how to cover up a clear blue sky and the tears that i cried for that woman are gonna flood you big river and i'm gonna sit right here until i die i met her accidentally in saint paul minnesota And it tore me up every time I heard her draw, southern draw. Then I heard my dream went back downstream, Coborton and Davenport. And I followed you, Big River, when you called. Said she's been here But she's gone, boy, she's gone I found her trail in Memphis But she just walked up the bluff She raised a few eyebrows And then she went on down alone Now won't you bat it down by Baton Rouge River Queen, roll it on Take that woman on down to New Orleans New Orleans Go on, I've had enough Dump my blues in a girl. she loves you, Big River, more than me the clouds how to cover up a clear blue sky and the tears that I cried for that woman are gonna flood you big river and I'm gonna sit right here until I die
6: Up in the morning, everything don't ring. You go a marching to the table, you see the same old thing. Baby, all I wanna tell you, a knife a fork and a fan, and if you say a thing about it, you're in trouble with the man. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever loving light on me. Yes, let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever loving light on me. If you ever go to Houston Then you better walk or ride You better not stagger And you better not fight Cause Sheriff Benson will arrest you He'll carry you on down And if the jury finds you guilty You're penitentiary bound so let the midnight special shine a light on me Let the midnight special shine its ever of light on me Miss Rosie, how I wonder, did you know? Oh, well, I know her by apron and the dress she wore. Umbrella on her shoulder, piece of paper in her hand. She goes a-walking to the captain, I says I'm losing my man. So let the midnight special shine its light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever-loving light on me. Let the midnight special shine its light on me. Let that midnight special shine its ever-loving light on me. I let the midnight special on its loud on I'm a let that special Start it's a little lot on Cat the Midnight
3: That was you guessed it Midnight Special by Harry Belafonte.
2: That song is so great and I just want to know what it was like to be Harry Belafonte's harmonica player. Because the harmonica was kind of set back in that song, but it was astounding. And like Harry Belafonte's harmonica player must just had a great time. Not a lot of pressure, just a lot of harmonica.
3: Right, unless he was back there playing harmonica thinking, damn it, I want to be the front man. Nah. I'm just a harmonica player.
2: No, no, you can't play harmonica like that with that kind of soul if you want to be up front. You're happy back there.
3: You don't know shit about harmonica players, let's face it. Yeah. Before that, we had Big River by Johnny Cash. And before that, we had Greg Weinger's story, The Channel, a story that made us think. Is it, Greg Weinger's story true or is Greg Weinger's story not true?
2: It may be true or it may be not true. I think, yes, it is.
3: The thing is, it only takes one untruth to make it not true.
2: No. No. You can have a mixture of truth and untruth in a story.
3: Right, but then the story becomes untrue once you enter.
2: Well, the story as a whole as a whole. Yes, That's but the story about. may be true or may not be true. Doesn't have to be taken as a collective. No, now that I hear it. Yeah. I hate to admit it, and I'm not going to admit it. You're right.
3: It's not even a right. thing to admit, it's just a fact. <laughs> At uh, the top of that set, at the top of this show, we had The Best of Everything by Tom Petty. And I like the—I can't hear that song enough.
2: That was your request for yourself to start the show tonight. You were just poking through the records and said, play this first. And I said, okay, fine. I'll play that first.
3: Are you going to bore people with the uh, boring details of what happened before the show well, started? Then you turned to me with an
2: expression <laughs> on your face that said that if I didn't play it, you, you mean like that?
3: So that was a great story by, by Greg. Greg. It Weinger. was indeed. I loved it.
2: I was right there in the boat. Yep. I did not expect the barge and I was relieved when it passed them by. And then when they went in the water, I was like, oh no, clearly the storyteller is not going to drown. But I think these other guys, I waited and they didn't come up. True or not true. Either way, gripping. Thank you for that, Greg Weinger.
3: Do we have uh is is this it? Is this the end of the show?
2: That was it. Yeah, that was the <laughs> stories that was submitted, that All were submitted. Right. Thanks, Greg Weinger. We do have other stuff tonight, and we are going to persist. But the January creativity drought—you know
3: what—was um, broken
2: only by Greg Weinger.
3: When we were listening to Greg Weinger's song, it reminded me of that time that I got bit by a Shetland pony.
2: Really? Yeah. How did you feel? That was so weird. How did you feel when that so, happened?
3: So let's uh let's just keep going.
2: to white tiger radio live that was our second set of the evening we began that set with you can have my husband but please don't mess with my man by coco taylor and that is one of my favorite songs for a lot of reasons but of course i love always love the uh long parentheses in a title you can have my husband that's the title and then parentheses but please don't mess with my man which i think completely changes the song if you don't have that parentheses there
3: so, what played after that? Foxy Lady?
2: <laughs> Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix. And then we ended the set with Runaway by Del Shannon. Second set, we rounded the 9:30 half hour.
3: The Ever and Midnight Special.
2: The Ever Loving Midnight What's Special. What's
3: up next?
0: Just now
5: struck ten. Darling, I had to call you to our favorite place
1: again. Well, no!
2: sits cooling on the kitchen counter. Two nine-inch rounds, side by side on a wire cooling rack. And for the moment, all is silent. Silent, that is, except for the sound of cartoons filtering into the kitchens in the living room, and the burbling of the fridge, the ticking of the clock, and a distant lawnmower perfecting a neighbor's lawn. But silent enough for the man of the house, the maker of the birthday cakes, the owner of the television and the fridge and the clock, as well as his own quieter lawnmower, and much else besides. It's silence enough for this man. A rare moment to sit down and enjoy a fresh cup of coffee, leaning on the kitchen table and thinking to himself, silence is golden. Silence is golden. Silence is golden. Silence is golden. And then bam! A sudden noise jerks him from his reverie just as he's beginning to consider the infinite possibilities of silence. His head snaps around involuntarily and he searches for the source of the noise, but the silence of a moment ago has returned. It's no longer a golden silence, fraught with possibility. It's an ominous silence now, the silence of a deep existential abyss. The fridge is on a down cycle, and the neighbor is done mowing his lawn. The cartoons have grown quieter, and even the clock seems to be holding its breath. It occurs to him, more slowly than it probably should, what has caused the noise. A robin has crashed into the window above the sink, the window that looks out over the backyard, the unmowed, weed-filled yard that he's been putting off dealing with for some days now, but that he fully intends to mow and weed eat before the party. He rises slowly to see what has become of the bird, largely unconcerned at first. This crashing into the kitchen window has been a regular occurrence all spring. He's seen it at least four or five times in the past month. Usually the robin hops right up and stares into the kitchen, bewildered that an invisible wall bars entrance to that enchanting world, an inaccessible place where food sits openly on the counter and water flows from the tap. The man often thinks that this must seem a paradise to the bird, a place of abundance and peace. Though who really knows what thoughts fill the bird's tiny head as it flutters on the sill for a moment before flying off to search for simpler outdoor pleasures, a worm or a twig for its nest, a puddle to bathe in. This time the bird doesn't get right up and fly off though. It lies on the outside sill where it has fallen, knocked out, possibly dead. There's the sudden blare of a commercial from the living room, but he remains motionless, contemplating the bird. The sounds of squealing children and running feet mixed with the noise of the television, The telephone begins to ring. The fridge begins to cycle again. The noisy, messy world that he usually occupies has returned full force. It is a chaotic and cacophonous reality, but one that he cherishes nonetheless, for it sometimes brings an almost unbearable joy. Yet for the moment, he remains unmoved. He continues to stare down at the bird. The kids burst into the kitchen yelling, Dad, Dad, it's over. The show is over. Can we watch a movie now? They know they don't get to watch a movie after a Saturday morning of cartoons but they ask anyway, and then wisely they pause to give their father a chance to make all of their lives a bit easier for a couple more hours. The phone continues to ring, but he remains motionless, his eyes locked on the bird as the kids wait expectantly. Somehow they sense that this void where their father is not saying, now kids, you know you don't get to watch a movie after cartoons, that this silence may mean that victory is possible this time. Another ring, and the answering machine picks up. Hi, we're not home, says the voice of his wife from the other room. He finally turns to face his children. They are about to renew their pleas, but they hold back, noticing that there is a weariness in his face this morning. They feel a glimmer of hope, and they hold back for a moment. He takes a long, deep breath. The kids wait, hopeful, wide-eyed, holding on as long as they can. In the other room, the outgoing message is finished, and the beep of the answering machine is followed by his wife's voice again. Hi, it's me. How's it going there? The children can no longer help themselves. They start in competing with their mother's voice. Anyway, Can we watch a movie, please, please, oh daddy, please, please? just make the lawn look patchy like last year. Rather than answering the children, or snatching up the wall phone to tell his wife about his plans for the yard, or screaming out something obscene and unconstructive, he takes another deep breath and sweeps his eyes over the bourgeois surface of the kitchen. The cake rounds cooling on the rack, the fridge steadily purring again, decorated with crayon drawings and Thai food menus. Anyway, I was just checking in. I'll be home in a few hours. Can we watch a movie? Just one movie, please? Oh, come on, Dad, please, please. He takes in the ticking clock and the cobwebs that need to be dusted out of the corners, the floor that needs to be mopped and the sink that needs to be scrubbed. His eye is finally coming to rest on the window to the backyard that he's going to mow and weed eat before the party. The window where the bird remains. Don't worry, I'll find something nice for you to give me. Bye. The children have fallen silent, out of breath. They are baffled by their father's trance-like state, or perhaps they're wondering what their mother was talking about. Or maybe they've forgotten why they're even here in the kitchen in the first place. The seconds tick by on the clock, and this new, near-silence gives the man time to accept that the bird isn't going to get up and fly away. He makes a sudden decision. Clapping his hands together in his standard display of enthusiasm, he calls out, Who wants to build a bomb today? The children should be ecstatic. We get to build a bomb! Hooray! Hooray! Hooray for Dad! Today we build a bomb! A bomb! A bomb! Yay! But that's not the reaction he gets. The children are unmoved. We want to watch a movie. They're staying on message hardcore today. And he finally gives in their unified, disciplined opposition has won the day. Okay, guys, another movie. It is (laughs) another hand clap and they're off to the living room to pop in a favorite tape. Two hours later, the cake has been frosted and decorated and the bomb is finished. All it needs is a coat of black spray paint. He walks into the living room just as the movie is finishing up and is greeted by the blank television-soaked faces of his children. Who wants to help me spray paint our bomb? He's sure that the kids will want to take part in the bomb project now that they've gotten their fill of explosions and magical transformations. But once again, they have other plans. They scatter without a word, squeals disappearing into different parts of the house. He rewinds and puts away the tape, turns off the TV and VCR, heads back to the basement. By 5.30, all the guests have arrived, and his wife has returned home, aglow from a spa treatment and an afternoon of shopping for her own present. She circulates gaily. She smiles, she laughs, she passes out drinks. Everyone is happy, or at least as happy as they get these days, despite the fact that many of the conversations are tiresome and pointless, and nothing new or exciting has happened at one of these gatherings, or in their lives in general, in a terribly long time. The snacks, however, are top-notch, and the drinks always flow and are strong, so there's plenty to be happy about and there's always the possibility that something unexpected will happen this time. At six o'clock, the man begins moving through the house to gather the guests, murmuring, it's cake time, cake everybody, get here for cake. He freshens a few drinks, shuffles the stragglers into the dining room and heads through the kitchen and down to the basement. A minute later, he rounds the corner from the kitchen into the packed dining room where someone, most likely his wife, has thoughtfully dimmed the lights. Expecting a cake full of candles, the guests have dutifully begun singing, Happy birthday to you! They are greeted by his bomb. Its fuse, already lit, sputters brightly in the dim room. The children beam, but titters of nervous laughter ripple through the adults. Most, however, continue singing, Happy birthday to you! He sets the bomb on the dining room table next to the vanilla ice cream. The thing is patently cartoonish. It's perfectly spherical and matte black, with a two-inch fuse burning slowly but steadily. It must be some kind of prank, maybe an exploding piñata. Yet, it looks pretty solid. It's a very substantial item for an exploding piñata, and it dawns on more than a few that the man of the house is capable of producing a homemade bomb, even one that looks like it came straight out of an episode of Bugs Bunny or the Roadrunner. He's a man of many skills, they all know that. Some are drinking beer he has brewed, Others holding plates he has spun on his own pottery wheel and fired in the kiln in the basement. Plates that are heaped high with cocktail snacks he has made fresh from scratch. A cuckoo clock he made one winter ticks proudly on the wall. Why not a bomb? The glittering look in his eyes adds weight to this possibility. At the same time, he looks the perfect prankster. And how absurd to entertain such a horrible idea. He's always been a great guy. A model husband and father. The envy of everyone in the room. But those are the kind of people who snap, aren't they? It's true. The news is full of stories about people like that. But they've always thought of him as the kind of guy who had it completely together. At worst, someone who would teach you a lesson about yourself and what matters by pulling off a life-affirming prank at their wife's birthday party. Boom! You're scared shitless for a second or two. And then, as the candy rains down around you, you're more glad to be alive than you've been in longer than you can remember.
6: Happy birthday, dear
2: There's little time to weigh these thoughts, to smirk or run for cover, or think about what you've done and not done with your life up to this point and what you'll do if you live to see another day. The fuse nears its end, and they will soon learn, prank or bomb.
6: Happy birthday to you.
2: A pure silence descends, a golden silence, an awesome and fitting tribute to this moment. His wife closes her eyes to make a wish, but refrains from attempting to blow out the fuse, wanting, like the rest of them, to find out what will happen next.
1: The same familiar scars on this long road. On this long. Road.
3: Speaking of home, when I was working as a real estate agent,
2: selling homes,
3: and I them. was cruising the streets as we're wont to do, and a house came on the market, I decided to go look at it while I was in the neighborhood so that I could decide if it was worth bringing my clients to see. So I called, I arranged it. The homeowner said, yeah, you can come by at 3.30. So I came to the door and I got the key out of the lockbox and I went to open the door and uh, with the key, put the key in and someone opened the door. Standing in front of me was the homeowner in a robe holding a chihuahua, a very large, tall man. And not exactly I thought I had expecting. the wrong house, possibly, or that maybe I hadn't, I'd missed the, I'd had the wrong time or something. But no, in fact, he was going to be there. Behind him in the living room, watching—I kid you not—Matlock on TV was what I believe to be his very elderly mother, Matlock, sitting in a chair that both swiveled and rocked, and she had a walker in front of her. And I walked in, and very cheerful, as I'm. You were as she is was. necessary. I was very cheerful, and I said hello to her, and uh, she just looked at me blankly.
2: Can't be that cheerful.
3: And then behind her, kind of on a smaller couch, was a boy, maybe seven years old. And quite so quite a scene you walked in. I there. realized, okay, this is I'm going to look at this house, and this is what's going on here, and I'm going to remain cheerful. So I start to walk through the house and it becomes clear that the large man on the road with the chihuahua is going to be with me the entire time as is the seven-year-old boy. The bedrooms are on the main level. We look at those. We go through the back through the kitchen and I'm looking around and uh, remaining cheerful. And the man says, uh, this is the way to the basement of course he does look down into the basement steps he says go ahead after you and so in that moment remaining cheerful i decide that i'm going to go to the basement and i'm aware that this could be the most badass or the most stupid decision i've ever made but i'm going to go in the basement the seven-year-old boy is somehow uh makes me feel safe Somehow in this situation, somehow he, he's him your being your right there. And so that wow. is an indication of, of what was happening. So we go down to the basement, at the bottom of the stairs, there's a bookcase and there's a black duffel bag that has the letters N R A embroidered onto the outside of the duffel bag.
2: Right. Not, the only thing not on the, the bookshelf. Dog's initials, probably. There's
3: nothing else on the bookshelf except this duffel bag. And then we walk a little farther, we look around, we come back by the duffel bag and the bookcase and the man in the robe pushes on the bookcase and it opens like a door because it is a door. Oh my. To, as the man in the robe tells me, the secret room.
2: His Edgar Allan Poe museum perhaps?
3: And I said, oh, oh, that's nice. I've always (laughs) wanted a secret door.
2: That locks. Thank you. Only from the outside.
3: And then I proceeded up the stairs.
2: And out of the to your basement,
3: life. out of the house, I said goodbye to Matlock and. Uh,
2: Live to tell the tale. You're here telling the tale.
3: I'm here telling the tale. So
2: nobody died and no pets were harmed in the making of this story. Well, we can't. We don't know what happened to the chihuahua later. Probably.
3: I think my, you know. Taken care of. Oh yeah, he was. The
2: chihuahua was he, the star of that house.
3: Let's just say the man room was petting the chihuahua, quite a bit well, during of this he whole was. part.
2: I mean that's. So that's uh in pride of his house and his chihuahua well that may be true or may not be true is there the tiniest bit of falsity in that so that we could claim the whole story is not true i don't think so i think uh that was chilling as i was hearing it even though i knew you survived it was still chilling to me tell us what we heard in that set
3: the very end of that set we heard marathon by the heartless bastards and before that we heard a story titled the birthday party by jack miller and before that we had after the fire is gone by conway twitty and loretta lynn
2: yes they feel that song there have been a lot of famous country musicians who duetted that song and
3: is it twitty and lynn or lynn and twitty
2: oh twitty and lynn i think it's got to be twitty and lynn you got to say the man's name first when you're talking about after the fire is gone Lynn and Twitty? Doesn't sound as good.
3: Conway and Loretta. Loretta and Conway.
2: Loretta and Twitty, I think, is probably the way that they would have preferred to have it spoken. Well, that was a good set. I have to confess that I did not write that story this month. And it also was far more than 500 words. So I just broke <gasps> no. all the rules. Wow. I broke all wow. the rules. I set the rules and broke the, the rules. It's the Jack
3: Miller show starring Jack Miller. I thought yeah. that was on a different night
2: yeah well it's been moved it's kind of kind of Mm. overlapping with our slot now
3: i need to talk to the station manager this is becoming a problem
2: yeah you can uh send the email to hey you at youcandowhatyouthink.com and it will get to the appropriate place
7: so hey. You're so, baby You're so, baby So baby so no
0: now to believe in you, the way you died,
5: baby, you blew my cool, I'm sitting home lonely, baby, all by myself, I ain't looking for you, girl, and no one else,
0: I should have known better now, I should have known better,
5: I should have known better, baby, oh, no
0: should've known better than to take a chance. Oh, well, something is weaker as our man You make me feel foolish, even to myself.
8: You
9: make me look stupid, heck, to someone.
5: I'm better now to believe in you. The way you lied
0: to me, girl, you blew my cool.
2: That is the one and only Billy Preston. Getting uh, scratched off there. Should have known better, Billy Preston. And before that, we had Baby by Donnie and Joe Emerson on a record that was given to me as a gift. These guys were just farmers in eastern Washington whose dad built them a studio in their basement, and they made this kind of funky, souly, bluesy, in some places disco-y, record in their homemade studio and released it and that's what we heard did they make
3: they made it in the 70s
2: i believe it was 79 maybe 78 and it was buried for a long time and it was recently re-released joe and donnie emerson look it up find it it's a Uh, good song it's a good song baby is their big that was their big hit they're not radio hit but if they had actually got that on the radio that would have been a radio hit and it was a hit here on the radio white tiger radio live. We have crossed the 10 o'clock hour, which means it's time to do Shannon sings karaoke in the radio. It's been, Oh yeah. It's been uh, what happens
3: when we go overtime? We torture people. Yeah. Not only have we gone long, but, uh, now they have to listen to me sing.
2: we always go a little longer. No, no one ever said it was an hour. And if you think it should be an hour, you can send an email to, you know, the address was given earlier, rewind and uh, write down. So what's your karaoke selection for tonight? I don't know. Shoulda known better. I mean, I'm just gonna sing Billy Preston until you come up with something better. Shoulda known better now, yeah. See, it's gonna be, it's gonna be like that.
3: I don't know. Uh, let's see, Mr. Postman. Oh yeah. I don't think I can do that one. Well, I'll cue it up. Wait. Oh yes. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, I don't think it's not, it's not happening.
2: Well, you know, it's not karaoke if there's no music.
3: I think I'm better at uh, lip syncing that song okay then karaokeing it
2: okay well lip sync it then yeah that's good no you're right on it
3: yeah i told you
2: that was great i told you i wish people could see that it's fantastic
3: people wish they could see
2: it people wish they could see it well that's almost the whole show we always have one more song left uh any last thoughts could you have cared less Did you could care less?
3: I think that tonight I cared the least less that I could ever care.
2: You're going to care a whole heck of a lot because this is your song.
8: (laughs) ¶¶